Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Jed Talks. My name is Jed Shepard, and I am your host. Today, I've got an amazing guest. This this guest has done more than many people do in their entire lifetime within the space of, I mean, he's been going for like 30 years, but he is an absolute hero of mine. He's a legend in the indie filmmaking world. It's Larry Fessenden. Hey, Larry, how are you? Hey, Jed. How are you, man? Great to be here. I'm so good to be on a Zoom call with you. It's really, really cool. I just watched your film, Depraved. Um, it's out now on um, Shudder. And wow, like I, I've, I've seen a whole bunch of your, your other movies, but this one feels, it feels different. I, I, I don't know why. Tell us about the, the, the inception of, of Depraved. Well, when I was six years old, no, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> it, it is, of course, I have a long uh, romance with the Frankenstein monster. And to put it very simply, Depraved is a retelling of that story. And it's a combination of the Boris Karloff aesthetic um, and, of course, Mary Shelley's novel with, yep. with a nod to a couple of other adaptations that I liked over my long years. Um, I have this thing about making um, traditional horror stories into modern parables about uh, society's dysfunction. And so Depraved is, anyone who's seen my movies would say it's a continuation of, of that mission. But I am working with such a beloved creature, such an iconic uh, makeup that Karloff had. And of course, mm -hmm. you want to bring that into the modern world. Uh, so that was um, the fundamental, the core impulse. The other thing that I tried to do as something a little different um, is ask the question, what would it be like to be the Frankenstein monster? So I tell the story from uh, his point of view. You wake up in a lab and you're like, what's going on? I don't feel like I did when I, <laughs> you know, so it's the premise of the brain being transplanted and who was that original person. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of the springboard and you see the story unfold in a way that is familiar to anyone who's uh, seen uh, the movies or read the book. And yet, uh, hopefully you're always in an engagement with what is different and how it's been modernized. It's set in Gowanus, Brooklyn, which is uh, one of the last rundown areas um, in, uh, in Brooklyn. And so it's very contemporary. And the doctor was a field surgeon in Iraq. So he's come back with a lot of angst from all the failures to rescue these soldiers in our recent wars there. And uh, so that's sort of the premise that his expertise is bringing people back uh, from the brink of death, you know, in the, in the um, war environment. And he comes back with PTSD. And then he's being financed by uh, his old friend who's in the pharmaceutical interest. Polidori, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm using um, the traditional story to explore some things that are going on in our society now. Uh, did you feel beholden to the original Mary Sh Shelley text at all? Or did you feel like you were just using that as a springboard to, to, to kind of put your ideas on top of it? Did you, because it does kind of follow generally the narrative of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, roughly, did you feel like you had to kind of stick to that? Never. I really never revisited the book. I have read ah. it in my life, but mm -hmm. of course I'm a kid. I, or I, well, I feel like a kid still. <laughs> I, I mean, I read the comic books, you know, yeah. I, uh, and I saw all the Karloff, uh, all the universal movies, including with Glenn Strange and some of the later ones all the way to Abbott and Costello. And then of course there's 
Christopher Lee and their version. So Hammer's version, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then we had Robert De Niro play the monster and yeah. that was a goofy version. But uh, <laughs> always what's fun about it is like watching a cover song of your favorite uh, song or your favorite band doing a cover song. It's what they bring to it. And, you know, each of these movies um, has some aspect that is worth sort of considering. So, in fact, I never went to any of them specifically, but they've all become part of my DNA. Not to yeah. mention, you know, I mean, uh, you guys are on the radio, but I have little monster <laughs> figures. You know, there's nice. as a kid you live with these uh, icons and I made the models. So, you know, and but more importantly, perhaps, is that the themes of the book and therefore many of the better movies uh, are ones which are universal uh, themes of alienation what it's like to be alive and confused, looking for uh, approbation from your father figure, in this case, the doctor. Um, And, you know, looking for love and and how you interact with the ladies, uh, which can go very badly for all of us. So, um, (laughs) you know, it's really, it's it's a coming of age movie. It's all those things. And so uh, I didn't directly need to revisit the material. I knew it intuitively and wanted to have uh, the freedom I mean, I was influenced by a book called My Stroke of Insight, which is about a woman who had a stroke and how she had to sort of find herself again. Uh, I also like uh, the work of Oliver Sacks, who writes about brain damage and Mm -hmm. how it sort of creates a surreal subjective world for the patients. And so it's things like that that engage me as much as uh, the obvious source material. Yeah, like there's a lot. There's a lot I loved um, about this. The fact that you go straight into within the first five minutes, it's happened. The the instance happened, and there's a body lying on a slab, and it's all cut up, and it's that it's Frankenstein's monster. I love how immediate it is. There isn't any kind of build, like massive build up. You're straight into the into the, the kind of premise of of the of the um, story. But then for me, the the most enjoyable parts is the the learning stuff um how the how the monster in inverted commas learns to be human again um or the stuff with the ping pong is really cool and the puzzles and it's called back to the puzzles really 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 cool and you don't in in previous um, incarnations of frankenstein i think it was it's it's always been rushed, but I fe- felt like this was like he was learning through the entire movie about how to be human again. Um, and um, I mean, this might be a spoiler, but he's learning to be human, and then at the end, he kind of almost loses his humanity. Um, but well, but but I mean, that's a bit of a spoiler. The um, yeah, well, Frankenstein. I don't think people are going to be. Too I guess the, I, I guess I so. Think, uh, how we'll do that and. I think the idea is that at first he's an innocent child, but at a certain point you really, and you know, even speaking to the actor, I said, okay, here you're a a child and here you're becoming an adolescent. You're becoming interested in, um, in ladies and trying to understand what's going on. And, and, but more importantly, uh, you're starting to question your elders Mm -hmm. and you're seeing the cracks in their behavior. And you're starting to, that's where the alienation begins, not yeah. just blind devotion to your father figure, but realizing, well, they're flawed. And actually that wasn't a, that wasn't a good move at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when uh, the alienation starts as it does with all of us. And then you start to question the world and then you get angry that the world is rejecting you uh, because you're uh, 
well, for various reasons in the story, and then you do something wrong and you're now uh, a villain, but you have never uh, sort of figured out why. You see, so it's really a trajectory that um, of becoming alienated and then villainized, and then you can never go back and join society. So it's, it's that's the tragedy. And it's straight out of Mary Shelley. Yeah. He, he similarly lashes out and he kills some people and, and mm-hmm. he realizes he can't be part of society. And this is the horror of, um, of yeah. Frankenstein's monster. The, the real horror, yeah. And um, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are either filmmakers or up-and-coming filmmakers. Um so they probably want me to ask the question, how do you put a film like this together? Obviously you have your own production company, Glass Eye Picks. What's the process in making a film like this? How did you get the money for it? How how did you do the casting? Was it a normal casting? Well, the deal is this. Uh, I have made a lot of movies, so there was some presumption that with this wonderful <laughs> reimagining of the Frankenstein story, I could go to Hollywood and um, <laughs> get a few shekels and make the film. And in order to do that, you need a, a cast member of note to uh, to join your team. So I did send a script. I had different people trying to produce, and their first um, job was to sort of get the script in front of a known actor. And that mm-hmm. was the idea. It was the idea of seeing, you know, Jeremy Renner as the doctor and uh, to, to enjoy seeing someone that we, we like as an indie actor. Uh, bringing intelligence to this story. So that was the conceit. Well, that lasted about five years of rejection. Oh, really? Eventually, I said, this isn't this isn't worth waiting. You know, I felt impatient to put the work on screen. So then I veered into a low, lower budget conceit. Uh, and actually, if you are filmmakers listening to this, that is my recommendation is, you know, you can chase the dream for so long. But there's a certain point, if you're, especially if you're early in your career, which I'm not, but uh, when you have to listen to your own advice, which in this case I had to realize, you know, I'd rather make the movie than make uh, the bigger version. Um, so uh, I auditioned Alex Bro to be the monster. And one thing um, is I conceived that the monster could be an unknown, even with a... Um, a bigger cast, a known cast. So that was exciting. And I realized this is something I can actually do. That's the thing. If you're a filmmaker, what you want to do is make movies. If you're a painter, you can paint. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're in a gallery or not. But a filmmaker has this impression that they have to wait around for money, which is to say approval from outsiders. Yeah. Well, I say no. I say no. You have to fucking do it. And nowadays you have uh, beautiful cameras. And as long as you can assemble a team and get them inspired, you can actually make a great movie, in my opinion. Uh, with with little means. So I auditioned Alex and I got him excited. And he uh, he was a stage actor from uh, New York City. Um, and he was he understood this was a great opportunity. It's a it's an iconic uh, role. So he stuck with me for a year and a half, you know, while I promised him one kind of production, he eventually stayed on for the uh, the lesser production. And then I got uh, local actors and people that I knew uh, to uh, fill the roles. And of course, now you don't have any of the distractions of celebrity and you're just mm-hmm. dealing with the work. And that's a fantastic place. I had a certain amount of money just from my company. Um, and then I was able to match it very much at the last minute. But another thing I did, which is, is you know, it's a little bold, but I rented the space and started building the set before I had all the money. 
Oh, you know, well. to take the time to build that set. You know, I wanted to do it like an old Hollywood movie yeah. film <laughs> and have lights going through a window and speak <laughs> my set. So we um, we put it together and eventually, um, luckily, I did get a big chunk of money and I was able to go forward. But it was uh, a quarter of the original budget. And mm-hmm. and very little was compromised. We had to shoot faster. We had to be on our A game. But uh, I, I don't know what the bigger budget version really would have looked like. But I would have gotten a lot of advice from a lot of people who, because they put money in, had a lot of opinions. Yeah. And, you know, imagine this movie. There are many ways you could have gone. It could require more gore. It could require... Uh, well, now you mentioned it, that would have been good. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> the point is, is that it's nice to work in the low-budget environment because you have a little bit more artistic freedom. Mm-hmm. So I didn't suffer. I, I, I think it's totally right. I think a lot of filmmakers, the biggest obstacle for them is is themselves. They're, they're the ones that who put the obstacles in front of them. I can't make a film for X reason. But we all walk around with a film studio in our pocket now. You you can genuinely make a great film on your iPhone if you really wanted to, as a star at least. Um, do you, yeah. do you do you find the the process of switching from actor to director to producer a difficult transition, or do you find yourself more the most comfortable in the director's chair um just to speak to the iphone movie uh you know ironically uh josh leonard who's in my film of course everyone thinks of him as being in um whatever it's called the blair witch movie but yeah he's (laughs) done some work since then um but he had just done a movie with soderbergh uh that was shot on an iphone called unsane and, yeah, uh, great movie. Soderbergh is a great hero to an indie filmmaker because he he has been able to do it all. He makes uh, Ocean's Eleven movies, but then he also makes a movie like Unsane. And yeah. uh, you know, here's here's to him and and the example that he's setting, which is exactly what you're saying. Anybody can do it. What you need to care about is the craft of cinema and have a, something to say. And every filmmaker is an individual who has a perspective on the world. And if you lean into that and make that what your movie is, uh, there's nothing Hollywood can do to combat that. They have their team of people and experts trying to anticipate the audience, but every individual filmmaker has uh, a vision and something authentic to offer. And that's mm-hmm. your superpower. So I say, go and use it. Um, yeah. The um, just, just talking about that again, I don't know if you know anything about me, but I, I recently made a film called Host, which is a, a horror movie all set on Zoom, just 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 like we are right now. And it's it's kind of blown up. But the thing is, it looks like it was shot on Zoom, but it was actually shot on on iPhones that was stuck to the actors um, computers. And we, we use the fact that the um, the lockdown meant we were all inside. But it was the first time in history where all of our friends who were actors and producers and and stunt people were all out of work so they could all make it so it's just it's just an example of if if you have a phone you can you can make a film (laughs) well listen man let me geek out myself for a moment host Uh, was my favorite movie of the whole lot oh no way you saw it oh cool oh are you kidding yeah man nice fantastic and uh what i love about the movie is both uh i love that it's so short yeah uh, (laughs) kind of a Sometimes I want to choose a movie just to have a, a quick fix and then get yeah. on with another activity. So, but also 
I'm a huge fan of that format. And I don't know <laughs> about you, but I don't know if this, but I just find Zoom so terrifying because there's always something in the background that could happen and, you know, a door that could open. And you guys use that trope yeah. uh, to great effect. Also, I have a fondness for that kind of um, um, demonology where people are sort of flying through the air and all of that, you know, which yeah. is nicely in the VHS movies. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, what I really want to celebrate is your actors and the whole beginning was the naturalism is why you care about that movie. I mean, you do get to some great stuff. Yeah. I congratulate you because there's a lot of sleight of hand, which is you yes. know, always yeah. so fun in movies. Um, and, you know, obviously you have to follow certain rules when you're making a Zoom movie or any of the found footage. So I love the way you dealt with that and the one character that's running with their computer or their phone or whatever. Yeah. So um, just fantastic. But oh, thanks, man. Thank you. Why it works is the... Um, is the characters are also appealing in the beginning. Um, and it, it's about authenticity. Like they're, they're real friends and they're all just friends from our, that we've known for years that we've made short films with. We just stuck them all in this film. Like it's quite crazy to have so many co-leads essentially. And yeah. we just use their real relationships and their real dynamic. And um, this is great filmmaking, at least at this level, of course, there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with putting, you know, making a movie, uh, of, of Chekhov or whatever. And yeah. I believe in the classics as well. Like take example, Frankenstein. But, yeah. uh, but meanwhile, um, that's what's so cool about host is that it's, it is exactly uh, organically derived from the friendships you have. And this is my favorite thing is you take something that's very naturalistic and you can exploit that for a period, yeah. but then you do bring in the fantasy element and that's just the perfect blend. Like if those guys just sat there and talked the whole time, it would have been fun, but at a certain <laughs> start looking at your watch. But no, the demons show up, and it's just yeah. a good time. But we, yeah, you're right. We, there is sleight of hand. Like we, we, see, everything that happens later, we see right at the start. In the first ten minutes, we tell you exactly what's going to happen to everyone and how they die in later on in the movie. We, so, um, yeah, but well, yeah, this kind of yeah. trap makes. First of all, it makes it a very rewatchable, which is always fun because you yeah. feel that the filmmakers care enough to have done that homework, mm -hmm. uh, and and it's such a, I think, such a vital blend to to have the naturalism, which is the sleight of hand, because it makes people uh, mistakenly believe that oh, this is all just unfolding. I I always loved um, when people think that my film Habit uh, made years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, was all improv and I'm like no actually that's all uh precisely scripted but what they're talking about seems so casual yeah yeah that, that you barely believe this is going to be a vampire movie eventually and you know it's the same conceit it's yeah. so effective um so congrats and oh, now thank you're you. going on to fame and fortune <laughs> well we'll we'll see, we'll, we'll see yeah. about that <laughs> cheers man um but yeah and if you ever need uh the for, for your films if you ever need a cast those girls are available to oh, to, to act in your films like Tell just I'm writing uh, scenes for them right now <laughs> please yeah <laughs> but that's the thing with, with low low budget filmmaking you you can take chances you can you can kind of uh you don't have like the the weight of a studio like on your back what, what, when you're producing a movie and you've produced uh, no joke some of my favorite horror films of the last 20 years and not just horror films Wendy and Lucy is generally in my top 10 films probably of all time Wendy and Lucy is incredible uh, 
like I'm very I'm very hardened to like emotions in films. You you won't see a tear from my eye in any movie. But Wendy and Lucy, you almost got me. You almost yeah. got me. <laughs> I, I know the shot that you're talking about. It's oh amazing. man. Like, so how do you we'll come back to Depraved in a second, but how do you do that switch in, in your mind between producer, actor, and, and director? How how, how do you well, kind of I realize partition? you had asked me uh, that question, you know being an actor and then being a director and all of that. I mean, the thing is, is when I act, I'm always nervous. You really want to deliver, you're serving someone else. I'm not as um, natural and intuitive as some people. There's some people who are just natural performers. I'm a bit of a ham, but I still, you know, if somebody says go and improv, I get all. Uh, so all I'm saying is that acting isn't uh, just sheer uh, free fall joy for me. It's, it's, I feel a responsibility to the story and to do the right thing. And I, I like the idea of sense memory and continuity. You know, they say that Gary Oldman always does the same thing. He knows his. So there are different ways I approach it as a craft. Um, so it's, it's nerve wracking when you're directing your main thing is to be empathetic to every member of the team. And I'm including the gaffer and to understand what they're going through and mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the art department and 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 you're trying to be a, a successful leader by getting everything you want and more from each person uh, and then of course with your actors each of whom is different so I find that fun and um, and then I have such a passion for where the camera goes and how to tell the story that I enjoy uh, directing producing I don't enjoy at all but seen <laughs> element of trying to encourage somebody to, to find themselves and to find their uh, their best version of their movie and, mm -hmm. and to help them make the best choices. So what I'm really going to end up saying is that it's all the same job. It's all filmmaking yeah. in the service of an idea, which is the movie, which is the themes, which is hopefully, and that's why what matters and the reason there's a consistency to all my producing efforts is that I have just seized on what I think these people are trying to do and try to empower them. And the reason I respond and want to help them is that they're finding something authentic mm -hmm. to talk about, something that is grounded in their experience and in emotional. And then if you have demons, the house of the devil, then if you have werewolves and lake phases, then if you have uh, vampires in uh, stake land, uh, if you have uh, grave robbers, all of that is uh, is the context in which you're telling uh, a very humanistic story. So th yeah. that mission in mind, we just help people get there. I, I um, the one of the films that you um, produce, which I love, is the Innkeepers, and um, it. When I first watched it. I walked out of the cinema thinking I didn't like this movie. In in my mind, I was like, nothing really happens. And then, uh, like Rob, who directed Host, I, I wrote Host. He directed it. Rob was like, no, you need to watch it again. Like, like we can't be friends if you don't like Inky. I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Watch it. I went to I went to the cinema again and I watched it and I, and I came out thinking, this is incredible. This is like a life changing movie. It's so good. So now, myself and Rob, we have this kind of um, this uh, shared these shared references shorthand really and innkeepers is one of the references we keep going back to 
because when we when we're trying to f- uh, make a, a horror film, um, especially in house, Innkeepers was actually a real big reference because Innkeepers does the thing where it, you can tell it's low budget, but they manage to scare you with the things that you don't see. And I'm always interested in that. Like um, on a Zoom call, like behind you, you've got a door. If that door was slightly ajar, that would be the scariest like frame you could get because the imagination could fill that hot that door ajar with something that a vfx guy probably can't or or the budget can't afford and in the innkeepers there's that one shot where the guy's just looking over the the woman's shoulder and it's just in his face in, in his expression on his face he's just describing the horror and to me that is one of the scariest moments in, in horror movies like full stop and we try to bring that to everything we, we can do because obviously we're not currently working with big budgets we we may be in, in the future. We, we, we take those lessons that we learn from the stuff that you, you've done with Ty West. Um, House of the Devil as well, a big, big influence. It's actually a very big influence for the next film we're doing. Uh, the first film we're doing with Blumhouse is, I was, it, people will, are going to say it's, it's very influenced by House of the Devil, and uh, I tend to agree. Uh, <laughs> we'll see when you, we'll, we'll speak again after it's off. It's going to be out in like February, March, and um, let, let us know what you think. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Well, congrats. That's really exciting. And, um, you know, Ty has such a, if you talk to Ty, you know, think of House of the Devil. Mm -hmm. Like his favorite thing is how long the phone cord is. And she's walking through the kitchen and pulling on it. And yet that phone ends up, you know, being her lifeline. She orders Mm -hmm. the pizza. You know, all these subtle things uh, are the things that engage people. tie and i mean i think the best thing in the innkeepers is is the relationship and the yearning between the two of them and so good uh and then as you say the very subtle scares and sort of the flip where he's just interested in fake ghosts and the whole lore of, of a haunted place and she starts taking it seriously anyway yeah uh, i agree that's a great movie and somewhat underrated typically it's also really interesting to try to analyze what what maybe is going on. And uh, it, in in that movie, I play Scrooge. I'm on the television. Yeah, yeah you do. <laughs> there's a um, there's an element in it of a ghost from the past, the present, and in fact the future. Oh. If you really analyze Innkeepers, you realize at the end. Uh, well, it's it's very subtle, but it is about yeah. three three generations of of hauntings in that hotel oh. so uh ty's pretty smart he is and and innkeepers generally is a, a big reference for for host because in order for these scares to work at the end you need to empathize and and really like these characters and, and feel like you're friends with them and like and in, the innkeepers does it so well these two people here there's a little bit of chemistry between them their back and forth dialogue is really cool and and na- naturalistic and um it, it's it's definitely like a, a big influence on, on myself and, and when you um, but when you listen to this podcast again if you have to uh i will yeah <laughs> you'll notice that i said the door in the zoom call is the scariest thing in the world so it's funny that you oh. then uh, so yeah. I, I agree, and uh, you have that right, isn't there? A boyfriend who sort of pokes his head in and is kind of ass, and they're having a fight. I yeah. mean, I love that um, that one storyline. Yeah, shall I tell you why we? 
be it was originally just going to be the girls but i i was adamant i was like rob we need to set someone on fire and rob was yeah. like we can't we can't set one of the girls on fire like, we, we, if we want to do what we if we want to impress people we need to set someone on fire so we we literally we introduced this char- character called teddy in just so we could set him on fire he's actually a stunt guy Everyone oh. else has been friends for like 10 years yeah. in, in real life. Uh, but we were like, oh, do we want to introduce an outside element to this? And, and he just got on with the girls so well in, in like a little test test we did. Um, we, we made his part a little bit bigger than it was going to be. And uh, yeah, and he's a certified stunt guy. He can set himself on fire. And uh, yeah. It, it's, well, it's this is great uh, low-budget filmmaking. And it's, it's also all about those opportunities and how you put a film together is, um, I mean, they're different ways. If you're gonna make Depraved, you're gonna pretty much uh, start from the script and the old story and you're gonna build from there. But even so, I still believe in sort of what I call the magpie technique of filmmaking, which is there's little things that you either wanna see on screen or you happen to know somebody who's got that car then mm-hmm. maybe they'll let you drive over the hill. Uh, and, you know, you, yeah. uh, oh, I have that cabin. We could use that. And then I have that friend um, who has those uh, explosives. Yeah. And, that's exactly and, what we did, yeah. That's a really fun way to make a movie. And and you're just adding production value and and interest. And then what's fun is that you have to sort of figure out how it all fits together. And, and this becomes its own uh, journey. So, <laughs> It's another reason why there's no reason you can't make. Uh, it's true. We were re- we were recently offered a tank, um, like a, a working tank. So we were trying to rack our brains. How do we fit a tank into the next? We can't. We can't put a tank into it. But it's a good option. Should we ever write something that needs a tank? Oh, I'll <laughs> to my ideas. I'll be in touch. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but that's what we did. we we have this document, this um, Google doc, where we've just listed all the cool people we know, all the cool stuff we have, and we just keep adding to it. And it's like, I know I know someone who injects themselves with snake venom every day to make themselves strong. Oh, maybe we can use that for something. And then we just have a list of like unusual, interesting people that we could potentially put into things. But that's low budget filmmaking. You kind of use what's around you. Um, and you've been doing it for, for so, so many years. And out of all of the projects that you've either written, produced, directed, what's the the one or two that you would say is your favourite that you keep coming back to? Well, it's actually an impossible question. Which child? Yeah, of course. <laughs> but um, one that I'm proud of is uh, the last winter because it's about. I love uh, it. Climate change. I'm trying to really address something, but it's a very much of a haunted house movie. You know, they're stuck in the middle of nowhere. I love the shoot. I got to know uh, Ron Perlman and James LeGrow. These are my pals now. And um, so that was very seminal and it was a big budget for me. Yeah. Uh, no, I love, I love that movie. I watched it recently. Really, really good. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad like so many of my movies because of mm. course we haven't done anything about this problem. Um, I would say House of the Devil because it is so beloved and also it represents the pinnacle of my mentoring of Ty West. Um, mm-hmm. And it's important to say that Peter Polk was uh, the producer on it and um, and a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I produced in the way that I sort of, uh, I asked Ty to write the script um, and he wrote, you know, four or five different things and that's the one we chose. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and we'd already made the roost and trigger man and he invited me to be in cabin fever too so you know yeah. there was it was sort of the pinnacle of our history together it also started my relationship with mpi which financed six or so movies after that including nice. space so you know that uh obviously habit is what i'm known for for what it's worth uh didn't make me famous but it sort of is a uh, a signature work from me and now maybe depraved uh yeah i personally loved wendigo uh for, for me wendigo was um yeah for, for me that was the thing that i at the time knew, knew you most for for wendigo because i had it on 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 dvd um and i think it's really strong performances for, from that family like really really oh, cool I agree. patty clarkson i mean yeah you do better and in a way, it represents my filmmaking because the monster is sort of a bit of a mess, but it sort of works in the context of the kid's view of a monster. And yeah, uh, and the the filmmaking is is kind of delicious because they use a lot of animations and stuff. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of the uh, all of my best and worst qualities uh, in one <laughs> movie, and it's clearly very. Um, personal because it is sort of my childhood memory of my view of the world was uh scary and reading books and and just this and yet being sort of in awe of of the life's potential so and i just love the family as you say they're really really cool and you got to you got to do you got to use that monster again you got to use a wendigo again in 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 fear itself right um Yes, and that's another one that I'm fond of. Uh, yeah. As I say, I don't really choose. I don't. I'm not saying these are all great, but that <laughs> is exceptional because of Doug Jones, who's just the most wonderful <laughs> actor I've ever. He's so good. Privilege to uh, put through the window. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing well for himself right now in 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 Star Trek. Um, he's so good in that. He gets he's, to be the captain. <laughs> he's a great performer, and you know, actually, my pitch to him is you don't have to wear a lot of makeup. And I guess in Star Wars, well, what, I mean... Uh, Star Trek. Star Trek. What does he have on his face? <laughs> oh, all kinds of stuff and gills and things and things coming off him. Yeah. But he gets to play the, the captain of a starship in Star, Star Trek. How many people can say they've done that? It's, I know. It's well, crazy. such a great dude and um, we had a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So, like, there's a, there's a couple of projects that you that I noticed on your. This is the thing with IMDb Pro. You get to see behind behind the artifice of the normal IMDb page, and you're still down as writer of the Orphanage remake. Yeah. Um. Is is that still happening? No. Ah, uh, oh, that's a shame. So what happened is, uh, I got a phone call from someone in Hollywood, and they said we want to be your agent. And I said, well, that's odd because I'm an unknown film director <laughs> in New York City. And they said, well, no, you're going to be getting a call. And true enough, I got a call from uh, Guillermo del Toro. And he said, fascinating. I want you to direct the orphanage. Remake. <laughs> and I said, well, all right, sir. Uh, anyway, that's crazy. A, a year-long collaboration. I wrote the script before meeting with him. And when I met with him, he said, Fasten then, what have you done? It's like you're sleeping with my woman. We're supposed to be doing this together. So then I, uh, I moved that version away. But it was a way for me to come to know the script. Yeah. Uh, I was working from the 
original and seeing where I would make changes. And then we spent some time together in his fantastic playhouse up in um, Northern California. And, uh, and we uh, spent four or five days working on the story together. And then I went and wrote the script and we did notes back and forth with New Line, which of course had just made The Lord of the Rings. So this felt like the pinnacle of Hollywood. I met with some great uh, producers and even all the way down to art directors and everything. And then we were casting the movie. Um, and I, I, uh, I wanted some people and, uh, you know, we'd go through and Guillermo wanted the top possible talent in Hollywood for the woman. And I guess uh, Nicole Kidman would be, would be a good choice. Well, I, I chose Nicole Kidman and he right. said, what are we making the other others? <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, he had a point. So uh, we, we did go through a number of the ladies and, um, some of them were very complimentary, but they didn't want to do it. And others were, didn't know who I was. And um, I met with um, Kate Winslet in London. Oh, she would have been perfect. I was right next to, I'm just laughing because I always tell the story, but you would actually know the hotel. It was yeah. a boutique hotel near Forbidden Planet and across from a pub where I ended up. But anyway, so I went there and, um, and she came in. And Guillermo had said, fasten and remember to wear your tooth. And <laughs> I had my tooth on and, uh, and she came in and she said, uh, hi, Larry. Wait, I thought you weren't going to have a tooth. I do my research. <laughs> and then I pulled it out. We had a lovely chat and she said she'd do it. Well, then she, um, she emailed and, and they said she changed her mind. She didn't want to do something so depressing. But I think, in fact, that she might have gotten Mildred Pierce with Todd Haynes. Right. Um, anyway, sometime after that, the film fell apart. And a lot of my, you know, fans and people from the uh, horror community um, assumed that I was too cool for Hollywood and that I, you know, <laughs> raised my fist and said, fuck you guys, I'm not doing it. But in fact, that's not true. I was so excited to work with all these professionals. I felt very honored to be in this position. Uh, there was real money at stake. I was paid very well for the script. I had this amazing experience with Guillermo. Um, so it was a great disappointment when he called and said, we've got to move on. We can't seem to cast with you. Um, so then- it Wow. But, so hang on. So he, he, he was blaming you for the fact that they couldn't find a lead, lead actress. Well, I don't want to actually, Guillermo fought for me. Right, right. So there's no, uh, it's circumstance and Hollywood runs out of patience. And, and right. they probably were nervous that he had brought me in anyway, you know. <laughs> um, so honestly, it was all friendly. And he said, let's, the irony is he said, uh, let's do something right away. Oh, uh, nice. let's, Let's bounce back. And I said, oh, my God, that's fantastic. I have this movie. It's called Depraved. You produce it with me. And he said, what is it? And I said, it's my Frankenstein movie. And he said, I'm not going to read that. I'm making my own. And oh. that was it. That was the end of it all. So I, um, I, I communicated with him, and he put me in the strain. We're still yes, uh, uh, distant friends. But uh, that was kind of the end of it. And, you know, a lesson to filmmakers. I probably should have immediately run and written a script that would appeal to him. 
Uh, yeah. And he hasn't made his Frankenstein. So what's going on, Guillermo? Yeah. Mine. <laughs> Maybe Kate Wizard will be up for it now. I haven't seen her in, 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 in too much recently. Uh, um. <laughs> anyway, it was all good. And, you know, our, my time with her was just so special. And we had a lot of laughs. And, and we even, you know, we talked about the orphanage. So the thing about making movies, and you know this, is, is that you, you do live with it and you do picture it. And it, so there's part of a movie there still in my mind. Yeah. Just didn't actually make it. See, my conceit was to shoot in Gloucester in Boston. Oh. A real lighthouse. And, and wow. on practical sets. Because the uh, J.A. Bayonne version is very elegant. And I wanted to do something that, well, if you will, it's like the innkeepers. You know, that mm-hmm. it's much more uh, raw and... Uh, really about this woman losing her kid it's a great script i gotta tell you and hollywood seemed to like it it was well received the original is incredible and it's i think it's still quite underrated i think it's one of the best horror movies for the last 20 years and i would i would love to see a, a remake of it only because i don't think enough people have taken the time to to watch it because it's of the subtitles um yeah. I, I i still think there's there's life in in, in that film Oh, yeah. without a doubt. And yeah, although I think we we solved some issues that I had with the original, which... Um, Logic issues. Made me excited to do it, that's all. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, it's 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 almost a, a perfect movie. And obviously, J.A. Bayana's gone on to, to like massive things and... Um, he's, he's, he's a great director, but is, yeah, is there... I, mean, I watch his uh, Jurassic Park. I mean, I'm a real sucker for monster movies, so I love what he did with the, that franchise. He, great, and he did um, he did a Monster Calls as well. Did, did did you watch that movie where Liam Neeson plays a tree? I did, but I think on a plane. I'm sorry to admit. Oh, so I don't think I gave it my real. It's it's a it's another really ultra sad movie, ultra sad, but like really 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 good and fantastical. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, we, so Spielberg's giant movie, whatever that was. Yeah, I am giant or something. Yeah, it's quite similar to that. Um, but on back back to depraved. Um, what do you think? Do you think that there's always going to be um, um, people making? or remaking or reimagining the classics like you did with Depraved, do you think there's always going to be a Frankenstein kind of remake or do you think it'll get to the point where people will be had enough of, of, of that, that kind of storyline? Uh, that's hard to say. I mean, picture Ex Machina, which is a great indie film. That mm-hmm. really is a Frankenstein. True, yeah. Those uh, species, speaking of Guillermo, mm-hmm. is that what called? you know? Yeah. So, and then, um, Oh God, I'm forgetting his name. But you know, uh, what's his name? Rose. Anyway, um, he made a Frankenstein recently. So, uh, um, it's very rude of me to not remember his name. This second, <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's, there's a few I, of them out there. I think the story, and then you know, it's it's in common use. When something goes wrong, you say, "Well, they've created a Frankenstein." Yeah. It, the idea of something we create that runs amok. So, and then to personalize these stories always works. I, w- I would love to see Guillermo's Frankenstein, for example. Oh. And now, um, 
finally, while well, you've just worked with Jason, uh, mm -hmm. finally, they seems to have figured out how to make the Universal Monsters. Um, it's taken them forever, and they've screwed up so many times with the Tom Cruise Mummy movie and stuff. Because they're afraid of horror, the themes of horror are too dark for Hollywood, so they always turn them into action movies, and uh, they really don't understand. Finally, and I didn't love it, but I respect the trajectory of the Invisible Man remake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so now we're finally getting our bearings, and I think they'll do some interesting stuff. Um, and I bet you they'll come up with some kind of Frankenstein. They, there's a TV show here called, um, oh my God, now I can't remember that either, but you know, that had a Frankenstein theme. Um, oh, um, Penny Dreadful. Thank you. Good yeah. Lord. Uh, so <laughs> Dreadful had, uh, you know, they had some cool stuff. There were two Frankensteins, right? Like, yeah. They had, He's talking to the monster and the monster's kind of nice. And you're like, oh, this is sweet. And then someone comes in and rips off his head and it's the bad Frankenstein that he made. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I think the only Interesting episode, twist. I, it's the only episode I saw, but I was like, <laughs> so uh, I think it's a perennial, just like vampires and werewolves. We want to see it again. God knows zombies have been a bit overplayed, but yeah. then you see uh, last train to Boswan and you're like, no, this this is still good. This still it's could still, work. Yeah, I, I think zombies will keep going. The the one monster that I th I think is really difficult to do justice to is, is werewolves. I don't think there's been that many great werewolf movies. Maybe Ginger Snaps. Um, um, not too Dog Soldiers recently. Yeah, there hasn't been that many. I think because it's cost prohibitive. For, uh, like an an indie filmmaker can't just make a. Uh, just on on their iPhone, they can't make a, a werewolf movie without it being terrible because it it's so oh, expensive. Be about that, my good fellow. Oh, are you are you about to do one? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's Zoom too. Like it's a werewolf um, host too. Um, wow! Oh, nice. Are you are you are you going to make a werewolf movie? I'm not telling. <laughs> that's, that sounds like you are. Oh, I'd, I'd 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 love to I'd love to see it. We we actually pitched a company. A werewolf movie. I think we were trying to get into the to the Universal Monster. We were we were trying to like have those meetings, but we had we had a um a werewolf idea that is insane, insane. Um, and they just told us we, we we really like this, but it's it's impossible to do this on the budget we wanted. I'll tell you I'll tell you after I stop pressing record what that was, but it's a crazy idea. Um. But yeah, um, just just wrapping this up. Like you, you've been in so many films, you've done so much. Is there anything left for you to do? Is there anything that you really want to do and you haven't done yet? All of it. Where's yeah. my creature? My creature from the Black Lagoon movie. Where's my werewolf movie? Where's <laughs> my? Uh, you know, let's get on with it here. So uh, you must be offered all these things. You you must be. No, 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 no. You don't understand. That's really think that. But no, I'm a. I'm an outsider. Hollywood has moved on. They're looking for young pups like yourself. No so way. Not interested in uh, in what I'm doing, which is fine. I've kind of you come to realize that you have your place, and you you know you have to just uh, do the work. So, oh, Larry, I'm I'm going to put you in all my films. Uh, I'm uh, you, you're going to be in all of them. Like <laughs> going forward. Yeah, okay, well, good. No, I still love to uh, to act and show up in movies. So you know, it's a it's a beautiful. Thing. I'm very lucky and I always they always say I'm an icon in front of my I don't know where this comes from so I'll take it um, but I don't <laughs> think um, things would have to really uh, 
take a left turn for Hollywood to then take an interest. I mean, they, I made Depraved. That didn't seem to uh, impress anyone. So it's, it's impressed me and it's impressed Shudder as well. Yeah, um, it's no, on Shudder. <laughs> it has its place, believe me. And I'm very yeah. grateful for the attention, but uh, we'll see. I don't know if Mr. <laughs> Bloom isn't taking my calls. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, when I press st- when I press stop on this podcast, we we can have a have a chat. But um, Larry, thank you so much for for coming on my podcast. Really appreciate it. And uh, let's have a part two at some point in, in the future. Let's let's speak again because it was it was great speaking to you about oh, Braves. And congrats on host, and good luck with your uh, your trajectory. You're going to do well. I, I know. Oh. oh, cheers, Larry. Thanks very much. All right.